Wildman Conversations with Matt Dwyer. It is nice to have you people here listening. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If uh, you've been listening for a while, I'm, I'm, I'm always glad to have you back in my podcast home. If you like my theme music, that is a song called Turn Your Head by Ken Vandermark, and that's from his album Utility Hitter. Copyrighted, 21st Mobile, ASCAP. Speaking of music, if you like music, my guest today is Honus Honus from the band Man Man, otherwise known as Ryan Katner. And today we are discussing his new album that comes out May 1st on Sub Pop. It is called Dream Hunting in the Valley of the In-Between. Uh, it's a phenomenal record. I, thankfully to Sub Pop, they sent me an early uh, copy of it and I got to listen to it. And it's goddamn incredible. If you like Man Man... You're going to love this album, and if you're a listener who's not fully sure who Man Man is, check out their stuff, because it's incredible. He's got a lot of music that I just love and res- has resonated with personal times in my life. Like Hold On To Your Heart is one of my all-time favorite songs, and it just uh, it makes me weep every goddamn time I listen to it. Ryan Katner is a very talented man, though he is... Hesitant to admit that himself. If you are listening because you're a fan of Honus Honus or music in general and you heard about this episode, peruse my other 170-something episodes. I've talked to a lot of different musicians. I've talked to David Yao from The Jesus Lizard, David Bazan from Pedro the Lion, Wayne Kramer from The MC5, just to name a few. Uh, Also, uh, Man Man originally started from Philly. Rodney Anonymous from The Dead Milkman, also Philly did my podcast. Check out those old episodes. Uh, I'm very honored that Ryan did this episode. It's a really great interview. We talk about some of his struggles. Uh, he wasn't able to create with the Man Man label for a while and felt lost and how he got it back. And it, Like a lot of my episodes, there's a redemption quality to it. There's a rise from the ashes and that uh, exists in this episode. It's a great episode. Uh, Ryan's a great guy. I've known him for a long time. We used to, I used to bartend in downtown Los Angeles, and I met him because of Jonah Ray. And Jonah would bring him into my bar. I would give him Maker's Neat, or maybe with a couple ice cubes. I can't recall. Or maybe he did it fully on the rocks. Anyway, we became friends, and I gave him free booze because that's the kind of bartender I am. <laughs> I'm sure if my owners are, old owners are listening, they're probably like, how much money did he give away over the years? I'll tell you, it was hundreds and hundreds. Now that you have a little backstory, let's get into the podcast. It's a great interview. Very Oh, and also, by the record, May 1st, Sub Pop Records. Here's Ryan Katner, a.k.a. Honus Honus. How did you arrive at the sound of Man Man? Because it is a very unique sound. Is that a dumbass? Uh, no training. <laughs> no none. No training, no lessons. Uh, you, you know, uh, no... Get uh, not have the energy or the, uh, the dedication to learn covers or anyone else's songs. What? How old were you? Self-taught. Yeah, I was going to say you were self-taught. And then I surrounded myself. Then I surrounded myself with like pre primo badass musicians, and that, that's that's how it, that's how it happened. Did you have an idea when you put the band together? You like, I wanted to sound like this, or was it sort of an organic exploration? Oh, I mean the the old story I tell, which is the old chestnut. 
polish off of the <laughs> log pile <laughs> is uh is that I got into music because I saw a Jodorowsky movie and it melted my mind and I wanted to make a band that sounded like that, which is partially true. Um, but uh, the truth is, uh, you know, I was out of, I was out of uh, art school with a worthless screenwriting, playwriting degree. And I was writing on the side while working some awful job. I was working at Starbucks and then I worked at a coffee shop and a margarita bar and I painted houses and shit. And uh, I needed, I needed an outlet. So I bought a keyboard board and I figured, oh, this, I'll write some songs and I'll make a record and I'll get on with my life and I'll, I'll move to LA and I'll make one record. It'll be well-intentioned. And then, uh, you know, it might be unlistenable, but at least it'll be coming from a pure place. <laughs> I really, I mean, I, I, I genuinely thought this would be, I'll pull this, I'll pull this album off the bookshelf someday and I'll show it to my kid or the other hobos under the overpass and, and, and be like, yeah, I, I, this is what I made. And they'll look at it and like, what is that? Oh, this is a compact disc. <laughs> were you, were you playing around Philly at first or did you just record an album and then play? No, I, I, we were, we were kind of playing around, uh, Philly. I mean, that was kind of, I didn't think it would go beyond that. It was just, I was, it was a miracle that we were even playing around Philly. That was kind of the extent of what I thought this could be. And so and initially when I started the band, uh, I wanted to have a, a, a female front person. And so found someone and then we never found someone. So then I got stuck doing it. And a lot of the songs on the first record are just real throat shredders because I never thought there would be a second record. So my logic was, Sing it how you feel it. Go as hard as you can. Destroy your voice. Doesn't matter. You're not making another record. What was the music scene like in Philly then? Because uh, I, I not. I'm trying to think of other bands from Philly that stick out other than the Dead Milkman. And is that fucking ignorance on my part? Who else are some Philly bands that I cannot think of? Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll start off by answering your question, and then we'll segue into what Philly bands are now. Uh, there, there was like a hot little pocket when I started out where there was, there was kind of like, there was a few art rock bands. There was this band, uh, Make a Rising, which just played their first show in like 12 years or something with us on Halloween. Um, there's this band, New Body. They were a great band. Uh, I ended up poaching a couple of their members for a while. Or maybe that's not joined my band after a while. And, uh, you know, and then there was, there was, Sun Ra Orchestra, you know, mainstays of weirdness. And it, that all got kicked out of the way after maybe like four or five years and was replaced by just classic rock again. Just like shitty cover bands or like? No, I mean like, you know, good, good dad rock bands, not stuff I'm really into, but they're, they're really good with, you know, like Curve Vile and War on Drugs and stuff. Oh, is Kurt Vile considered dead rock? <laughs> I don't know. He sounds like, to me. He does. I he don't. Just sounds. And he's, he's. I think he's. I think he's a great songwriter. But it just don't sound like anything I've never heard before. Yeah, I just. Uh, I. I literally just like I listened to him for two seconds when he first came out, and then the other day it like popped up on my Spotify, and I was like, oh, this this is okay. Like I. Yeah. I, but yeah. Sorry, my car's beeping. It's uh, it's not. Yeah, it's not like 
she's she's totally um, she's, she's totally great at what he does. I just you know like I've I, got no Ill, I've got no ill will towards like war on drugs or or hurt violence. They're they're totally fine. They're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like you know when I feel like I first heard you your band, I was like, "Wow, what the fuck is this?" Like it was exciting, and that doesn't happen. I, I feel like that doesn't happen as much as when I, I don't know if it's because I'm older and but I don't get excited by many bands. And like you're every time you put out an album, I'm like, "Oh fuck, this is great!" And you always are. You always seem to be doing something new with your sound. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. it, it you know, uh, maybe at some point. No, I'm no, no. Seriously, maybe at some point. Uh, you know, I'll I'll stop doing it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you call you call your new. I album. mean, fuck, yeah. man. It's been, it's been seven years since we put out another record, and I'm putting out another record in the middle of a global pandemic. What the fuck? I don't know. Maybe timing. Maybe that'll be a positive thing. People are trapped. They want a good album. It's a, people can really sit in and and listen because it's a it's a it's a layered complex album. I from my few listens since I've I got it like a, two days ago and I've tried to cram it in as much as I can. And there's a lot fucking going on in that album. You've called yeah. You know that that's, we have the option to push back the release date, but. You know, I, I opted against it because people need music right now since they're locked up. Is there... What, and, uh, yeah. what can you do promotional-wise That's since you can't tour, are you guys trying to do anything like everybody's doing, everybody's doing like online? Yeah, everyone and their mom is like, oh, we got to do live concerts and stuff. Yeah, like, sure, sure. I mean, we'll do something. It's not... It's not going to pay the bills for my bandmates. You know, it's, uh, I mean, we'll do it because it's, it's fun to do and it's fun to connect with people who like our band. And, you know, and I, you know, I was doing that. I was kind of doing that the whole process of writing this record. You know, my, my buddy Rollin gave me a back house that was behind their offices to like write my record in. And I was, I was Instagram living the whole process, you know, and it's interesting that if you dig deep into my Instagram, you can hear kernels of where those where the songs that finally made on the record came from. Did people's comments? Yeah, I mean, we'll probably do Instagram stuff. Yeah. Did uh, people's responses to the songs influence the direction they went in afterwards, or did you ignore that? Ah, never. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I mean, you you, you got to write for yourself, you know. Um, you know, the thing is, like, you got to write for yourself. At least my, my, my take on it, at least from the very beginning, is you got to write for yourself, but don't make it only about yourself. You know, and that's, that's, that's a challenge, I think, with writing a good song. It's, it's got to come from someplace personal, but not too personal where someone else can't make it a, a song about them. And, um, yeah. Um. In our t- text messages, you've ca- called the album your, uh, you believe it's your masterpiece. And when in the process did you feel like you were doing something that was uh, a, beyond the uh, previous work that you've done? I think it was at the end of the process, just because it took nearly four years to get completed. 
Um, it was just a matter of, you know, my, my, my buddy Cyrus Garamani produced it and he produced my solo record and we had a, and you know, we've worked on a lot of stuff in the past and we had a really good working relationship, but then, you know, he has a family and he had to get like a pretty hardcore job. And so then we just had to record within the pockets of his availability, which made the record take forever to get recorded, you know? But at the same time, it, it added a benefit of being able to play these songs live and also get a feel for them before we would record them. Because we, we reached a point in uh, maybe 20, I guess the, the end of 2018 into January of last year. Uh, most of the record was, you know, it was all tracked. All the, you know, not all the overdubs and the vocals and stuff were done, but, you know, the, the heart of the record was tracked and I hated how it sounded. I hated how it felt. And we, at that point, we spent two and a half, three years on it. And, uh, you know, Cyrus was cool and we were able to just take the songs on the road. But we booked out like the first Man Man tour in whatever, five years. Um, and we were able to replay the songs live and then roll back into a recording studio and then recut everything in like two days. Come, it's just because the feel was off. You know, the feel was off. And I wanted, that was really important about this record is I wanted to feel like it's a band playing together and not just playing to a click track and overdubbing their parts. I wanted to feel organic. You, so you re-recorded major chunks of the album? Oh, we recorded like most of it. And we did it in two days. The first round, everything was just on a rigid click track and... I just didn't like the way that felt because that's how our last record was made. The, the on Oni Pond record. And we had, you know, and, and, and I just, people really like our last record. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of it like I am any of my other babies. But, you know, I just wanted something more organic with this one. And it sucked. It, it, it was fucking stressful when you're recording. I, you know, I... I recorded, you know, prior to Oni Pond, everything was recorded live in a room. So it was nice to go back to it. I mean, have you had that experience with, because any creative process I've been involved in, at some point you're like, oh, this is fucking garbage. And you fucking hate everything and you hate yourself. Has that been the experience with your other albums or was it more so with this one? Uh, it wasn't so much that it was garbage. It just, it just didn't have the feel that I wanted, you know, the, and the feels, I feel like with man, man and the thing that people always connected with, it was not only the song, but it's, it's just a vibe and the vibe was off. And I figured since it'd been seven years since our last release, um, I, I had to come out the gate swinging, you know, it, it couldn't, it couldn't be wrong. And the fortunate thing was that I was operating in a situation of no label, no real money to record. Uh, uh, no expectations that we're even still a band anymore. So it's not like there was a ticking clock at that point. A ticking, the clock had been thrown in the river, you know? <laughs> it'd been tied in a bag and thrown in the river. And so so the, so the, the only real obstacles I was going up against was, uh, you know... Am I delusional? Which I I struggle with that all the time. Uh, it's, should I be just throwing the towel in and figuring something else out? Like, do people even care anymore? Am I too old to be doing this? 
you know, because Man Man, I, I feel fortunate that we we have been as successful as we have been, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's still, you know, we still struggle. No, you know, I love living with roommates, but I'm living with roommates, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you also live in, you know, th- about the most expensive city. L.A. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I, I'm every day. I'm a, yeah. I'm a stone's throw from a fucking underpass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now even now with coronavirus and we can't tour, and that's our livelihood. It's a uh, you know it's it, it's becoming even more real. But anyway, uh, I was struggling with uh, with quitting. You know, and it, and that was that, that was a you know everyone's. I think people who are creative. They struggle with that all the time. Like is this. I know I need to do this because it's in my blood, but at the same time, it's going to end up with me living under an overpass. Um, but what what would your plan be if you're like, okay, I quit music? What do you go do? Like work in a fucking IKEA? I don't know, man. I think it'd be it'd be like Harry Dean Stanton in Paris, Texas. I just walk off into the desert, probably. I really don't know. I mean, I it's it's something that wakes me up, you know. I want to. I want to keep doing this until I feel it anymore. I don't want to do this because it's a commerce thing and I have to pay my bills. I mean, I do this because I love it and I have to do it. And you know, my, my friend, uh, my friend who's staying with us from New Zealand, he, I want to paraphrase him, but he said the thing that scares me that I, the thing about me that scares him the most is I have this maniacal fortitude <laughs> <laughs> to persevere when most people would quit. Because I mean, it was really hard to not put out a man man record for so long. And I won't, I won't go into, I won't elaborate or go into details about it, but that wasn't my choice. Uh, is that part of, you know, man, it was kind of taken away from me for a few years. And so I had to like wrestle to get it back. Oh, and you can't go into that or you don't, you don't want to, I don't want to go into that. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Right. I mean, I'll I'll counter that by saying that I wish everyone who ever played with me the best of luck in their lives. And I I want them to have the best. Like they can I mean, from as long as I've known you, you've, um, you, you've said things like, you know, like, oh, I didn't train, I didn't learn how to play music or whatever, and which I think in a way downplays your songwriting because every album I listen to, uh, I feel like the songs are incredibly well-crafted and like you said, there's a vibe, there's a feeling. You have songs that I kid you not fucking make me tear up every time I hear them. And that is uh, a rare gift. That or I, I cry easily. I don't know either. <laughs> but like you, your music has a great amount of emotion as well as technique to it. Yeah, I mean, I, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's, it's, you know, I, I'm really proud of my lyrics and, and like the core songwriting. And, uh, and it means a lot that they would say that and you know it, it it it's why it takes so long for me to write songs you know because it just takes i have to kind of <laughs> it takes forever to write songs to be honest uh but i i think your songs I, and i know people have uh different opinions on this obviously but um my belief my my point of view in my opinion i think your song's only as good as the songwriting as the lyrics Unless you're just like in a prog rock band, you know, 
See, I've heard which, people say. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just took a dig at Prog Rock. Prog Rock's cool. Neil Pert had some great lyrics. Um, but, like, mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of musicians downplay the lyrics, and somebody said, like, Cobain didn't even think about them. It was, like, the like the last thing he thought of, which I also don't buy because I feel like he had some uh, solid lyrics. But do you, like, to me, the lyrics are the most important part. Do you think some musicians downplay that, or is that just some bullshit they say? Yeah, you know, I, I you know I've played with a lot of people, and I know a lot of people who just think the lyrics are just like another part, just like a baseline or whatever. And I, I I really think that if the hardest thing about writing lyrics is they just I in in my mind they just have to be good enough <laughs> that they don't call too much attention to them. Like they they can't be too clever. Um, they can't be too woe is me. It, it has to straddle that line. Um. And and then if because if your lyrics suck, then you're doing a disservice to the to like to like the musicians. I, I think. Yeah, that's kind of always been the challenge. And and the way I write songs is totally stupid. <laughs> it's totally back ass word. I haven't been able to find another uh, way of doing it effectively. I've tried a lot of different ways, but the way that works for me is I write songs and I write the skeleton of the song at the same time. Meaning, I'm playing a guitar and singing, trying to figure out words, or playing the piano, singing and trying to figure out words at the same time. That is the dumbest way to write. <laughs> it's not like it's not like I write the music first and then try to find a way to fit the melody in it, or write a, or like write a melody, and try to find a way for the music to adhere to it. They they come together at the same time. But I think the outcome of that is you have this super bonded feeling. Because they were born together, you know, and I and I I have you know like I mentioned it before, but my buddy Ron. So I have this back, it's like little studio back house in Atwater with just a piano in it, and uh, I would go there. You know, I, I took the Nick Cave's school of uh, perspiration over inspiration, and I would go there for like I treat it like a job. You know, I'd be I, I would be working freelance stuff on the side, but I would go in there for six to eight hours a day. And just bang on that piano and hope that a pray that a song would come out. And I'd say that ninety five percent of the time nothing came out, and it was it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. But sometimes stuff would happen, and that's what this record is. This record came out of about three years of that. I think, you know, and I've talked to other musicians about this. There's a the myth, like ever you always hear, like, oh, the Rolling Stones wrote Brown Sugar in three or Jumpin' Jack Flash in three minutes, and I'm like, yeah, that's but what about all the other fucking songs? Like that's to me, that's like the biggest myth about creativity and especially song. I mean, yeah. I mean that those moments do happen. And like you want, you strive for those moments, but you know, there's a song called if only on the record, which is a, it's a real kick in the chest, you know, but that song was born out of a dream. I had, I was, I, you know, I was doing music supervision on, uh, this TV show, The Exorcist, and there was uh, most of the cues I had to find was Northern Soul, which is amazing music, and it was, that kind of stuff was just in my brain all the time. And I had this dream, maybe a year after that job, uh, of a Jackie Wilson type singer singing this awesome, like kick-ass, like soul melody, or like just kind of almost doo-woppy melody, uh, singing the words "If Only." So I woke up in the middle of the night. 
I, I, I think I wrote the words down or I sang some semblance of a melody in, in the, my phone. And then the next day I went to the writing space and I kicked out the song, which in the end sounded nothing like the dream melody. But it inspired it. It's weird. I mean, when those things happen, it's a real gift. But that's only happened to me like three or four times in my life. <laughs> yeah, anything I've worked on that I've... Like when I wrote on Jonah's show, the anything that was good was like I was miserable the entire time I was writing it. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking garbage. And then we would read it and they'd be like, oh, this is really great. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought I sucked some serious dicks right now. <laughs> Nothing against dick sucking. but Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's, a, there's a song Animal Attraction on the record, which I think might be, I mean, I feel it's, it's one of the, my favorite songs I think I've ever written. And it's a beautiful song and it, it takes its time. But I pretty much wrote that song in a sitting or two and it just poured out of me. You know, it, it was, it, it's kind of funny how songs like that happen and then other songs, it's pulling teeth. But I was, uh, my, my buddy Rollin, who, who provided me with a space to write, who, he, I mean, he and Cyrus are both, both, both two guys. Rollin, a big part of it, Rollin refused to let me quit. And he saw me struggle with that uh, over the writing of this record. How many times I just wanted to walk away from music, and you know, God bless him. He kept he kept putting me back on that horse. Um, yeah, but he, oh, we, we were working on a musical together, and so for a while that kind of stuff was creeping into my songwriting. I was like, God damn you, Rollin! I don't write musical theater. What the fuck? <laughs> and but but good aspects of that like inform songs like prettiest song in the world yeah. like I don't think I would have written that song unless I had been trying to write musicals you know that's uh was there a different approach to writing musical stuff than like man man music and your own music oh yeah man I I, I, I like I said before I'm not trained so you know I figured that I I could maybe apply the same, not having any knowledge to writing musical songs, and there is a strict format to musicals, and so uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, just to go back, those years between Man Man albums. I mean, you did do the solo album, but were you? How did you feel in that in that era? Did you just feel like you were lost and wandering in the desert, or did you were you? Uh, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The, you nailed it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I felt I, you know, it, I felt unmoored because uh, you know, Man Man was my baby. It was my, my band that I had started, and suddenly it was kind of taken away from me, and. It, that felt completely surreal. Like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't use the name. And so I had to put out a solo record and then did an, uh, you know, did a Mr. Heavenly record. And then I just had to find a way to like pay the bills, you know? But I never, I never, I never quit on trying to do Man Man again. And even when I couldn't use, I was able to use the, the build solo career as an opportunity to find awesome players who believed in my songwriting. And then as a way to test out new man, man stuff. 
to go out and play to people who don't know me <laughs> and gauge their reaction to this stuff, you know? Is there anybody involved from old man, man with current man, man? Yeah. Yeah. There's one guy. Is it the drummer? Uh, Ryan Katner. Oh. <laughs> no, right. No, Ryan Katner. Oh yeah. He's the, he's the more handsome of the band of all the band members. He's, he's yeah, by yeah. far the most. Handsome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, I heard he's the guy that started the band. Yeah. <laughs> How did it feel? Like, did you to, doing your solo album and Mr. Heavenly? Did it feel? Was did you feel inspired doing that, or was that like because it was so? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean well, the, the solo thing. It was strange because, I mean, because some of some of the the contest behind the solo record was the direction I wanted to go. The next Man Man record, anyway. But then when it was clear that I couldn't call it Man Man, I was like, well, maybe, you know, use this as an opportunity. And it was the first record that I worked on with Cyrus, aside from like a kid's record that no one will hear. Um, and so, you know, we were like, let's have fun with this. Let's kind of turn it on time. Let's make it sound different than what a Man Man production-wise would sound like. And Mr. Heavenly, you know, it's, it's, those guys are my brothers, Nick and Joe. So it was, it was always fun to make a record with them every seven years, <laughs> <laughs> and barely, barely tore barely tore behind it, and uh, yeah, disappoint a label. Uh, why don't we? Why won't they? But yeah, you know. I, Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask about the children's album because I remember you sent me one of the songs, and it was great. Did it just not find a home? Because it was. I remember it being incredible. Yeah, we just don't have to do with it, you know. So, yeah, uh, interestingly enough, Sub Pop was almost put it out back in the day, probably back when I showed it to you. But then they they ultimately didn't know what to do with it, and so I think it'd be they'd be great animated one minute cartoons, but just haven't found a home or anyone to pitch it to, and uh, so it just sits in the vaults. But it's you know it's a thirty. One minute record, thirty one, thirty one minute long songs. That's uh, see, as a guy with a kid. That sounds like, and from what I recall that you showed me, I'm like, my kid would fucking love this. I'm actually gonna see if I can find it. I'll, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you a link, and you can you can test you can test it out on me. See if she likes it. Um, was early life Ryan Kettner? Was there a lot of music in your home, or was it just? Did you show an early infl- interest in music, or was that just something that came about later? In- um, not really. You know, I mean, my dad played classic rock in the house. He plays up on records until my mom and he would fight, and then she'd scream, and he'd have to turn the stereo down. Uh, they're divorced, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... But my, you know, my mom listened to music that I wasn't really into, like the Camelot soundtrack and stuff. But yeah, music wasn't a big part of my life really. And then I, I, I feel like the times in which it would, I would have been really influenced by peer pressure. Uh, I was living overseas because my dad was in the Air Force. So when most kids pick up you know, a Tiffany single or something. I don't know what the fuck, uh, you know, uh, my first CD I ever owned was, uh, the soundtrack to, um, La Bamba. 
Fuck, that just made me feel old. Because <laughs> I saw the movie with my mom on the uh, on the Air Force Base, you know? Uh, <laughs> Los Lobos, that's a good, there's some good stuff on, you know, musicianship in that album. Yeah, I mean, I think it turned me into like early 50s rock and roll and doo-wop. I, you know, it was, for some reason, that's the music I connected to the most is doo-wop and early soul. Um, even though um, you can hear traces of it in my, in my songwriting, but I, I think it's one of those things where it's cool. Cause in my late twenties, I can hear Pink Floyd for the first time and think it's rad. It took me the longest and not, time. And not be, uh, it, it, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting. Cause a lot of the musicians I've interviewed in the past, it's either it saved their lives or they stumbled into it there. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, and a lot of Air Force, like David Yao, is an Air Force kid as well, and there must be something about traveling yeah, around the world that uh, gets or and divorce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, music definitely saved my life. It's something that I stumbled into, and then it ended up like totally grounding me. Because you know, I, I had I had mid twenties meltdown, and if I didn't have music to kind of channel that stuff into I, I wouldn't be doing the Matt Dwyer podcast uh, your life is picked so. right th- today mm-hmm. um, do you I'm have- going to have someone cough in my face now <laughs> <laughs> I want to take this moment right now to thank you for listening to the podcast and if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more you can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash Matt Dwyer. You'll find bonus episodes, commentary on every episode, blogs, videos, pictures. Just become a subscriber. It's a great way to help me keep the show going. If you can't be a subscriber to Patreon and you want to help the show, do me a favor and tell some friends about the show. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to support the show. Or you can go to iTunes, rate the show, give it five stars, write a review, and I'll read it on the uh, podcast. And subscribe. That helps me with the old uh, podcasty numbers. And if you like my podcast, listen to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine or Kilgallen's Pub with Joe Kilgallen. Also, don't forget to go to themattdwire.com. That's a jumping off point for all things conversations with matt dwyer you can find merch on there links you to my patreon and social media why don't you buy a t-shirt what the heck why not now back to the interview after you feel like you've created what you call your masterpiece do you have what you do you know what you're going to do next or are you just like i'll wait and see also there's a caveat to the me saying the masterpiece thing i don't say that like it's my masterpiece <laughs> like i i it feels weird saying that it's you know, it, it feels weird feeling that way. And I, it was one, I've never had that feeling before with a record where I handed in and then I'm like, got to get on this plane to go visit my mom on the East coast for Christmas. If this fucker goes down, I would have made a great record. <laughs> right. It never is, had that feeling before. I know it, but like, it is great. And it seems like, and you tell, I, I, oh, I, go ahead. I, like, I mean, I think there's just a cohesiveness. Not like my my previous record didn't, but I, there's, I just feel with this record, you know, I'm older, get to put a little more into it. Uh, but there's the flow. Of co- it, it, there's so much going on with this. There's so much depth to it. And you have your bangers and you have your ballads. 
and you have your weirdo jams. But it's, it, it, it flows. In, in an era of just, you know, singles, um, I guess that's one of the benefits of people being quarantined is that you could actually listen to this from front to back. And it's put together to be heard front to back, you know? Yeah, I noticed that there's a lot of people who just release singles and videos these days, and I'm like, that's not very fun. Like, I've always enjoyed the cohesive overall product, and that just seems lazy to me. It's like, here's another thing. No, I mean, it's a marketing strategy. It's a, no, it's a marketing strategy, because you can get more out of a release rather than dropping it all in one they'll swoop and then the next week everyone's forgotten about it and moved on to the next thing. It's just, there's just a lot of information out there now. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's why I wanted to put out a, a long record too, you know, 17 tracks. Do you, but, um, do you see, see a significant difference from your approach to music from like, cause you said like you're older now, do you see a significant difference with how you approach it and the f- emotion you put into it? Opposed to your early stuff, your young man stuff. Um, just in a sense where now it's even harder to write songs. <laughs> you know, when you're younger, you know, unless you're 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 a rare person who's, um, I don't know. I just felt when I was younger, it was just easier to pour out any pain you're experiencing in the moment into a song. But as you get older, you maybe learn to uh, be less external with that and internalize it more. You know, I feel like a therapist can have a real field day with, with this. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I, I suffer from this thing, which I don't know if other writers do, songwriters do. Uh, every time I finish a project, it's, it, I have amnesia, a total wipe. Uh, and I forget how to write a song. Like right currently, right now, no clue on how to write a song. No idea. I go sit at a piano, no clue. Can't write a song. And it, it's maddening. I have to relearn how to write songs after every record. Do you think it's more like a you need to rejuvenate? Because uh, I read a book years ago about bi- sort of equating bipolar and creativity and saying like you have these blasts of creativity and then you you need a time to process, take things in, so you could spit it back out, so to speak. Does that does that ring? Yeah, a bell? that's what that's what I tell myself that this the, the, yeah that this that this time is just I'm I'm ingesting information which then I can regurgitate into a song. But uh, you know, I mean, any big creative. What, what I've always found is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We oh, can, I just we, since we can't, since we're doing this by phone, and we we can't see each other. It's like hard to right face cues. Um, <laughs> I, well, I've had a lot of Botox, so you wouldn't get those anyway. But um, it's, oh yeah, yeah. Create. I mean, there's like a hangover a lot of times. If you finish a project, there's just I I've always been like, fuck, I'm done for a while, and I don't know if I ever have anything in me again. Oh yeah, I mean. So Cyrus, who was producing the record, he took a job up in SF, which I had to finish the record with uh, with my book. You know Brett Morris, right? Yeah. He works. He work, yeah. He, so he's, he plays guitar in the band, and he he fortunately was able to do all, record all my vocals for the record. But uh, I, I went up to SF to just get all the stems, all the all the all the songs ready for mixing. 
And when we had finished it and it was completely done, I had a, I had, I had a total cathartic breakdown and I just wept because it had seemed so insurmountable five years beforehand that I'd ever make another man, man record. And man, man, it's just, it's me. It's my heart. It's, 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 it's the wholeness of my being. And I had to take it away. And it just seemed so hard that I'd even be able to like finish a record. And then I kept crying for like the next three weeks. I'd be standing in my driveway thinking about it. And I just start weeping. Um, so yeah. Was it just like anguish or relief or a mix of emotions? Oh no, I, it, it wasn't anguish. It was just, it was just, there were so many times over the process that I wanted to quit that I wrestled with all those things I mentioned before. Uh, and that that's where the album title was birthed out of was that I'm stuck in this purgatory of having to decide whether or not I need to just quit playing music and try to figure out a different way to live and go on. Or if I need to push that boulder up the mountain again. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you pushed that boulder up the mountain again. <laughs> oh, he rolled back down on me immediately. <laughs> I think that, I just so I was crying. I was crying because I felt the swish, you know. Uh, <laughs> where can uh, my listeners find your stuff, Ryan? Where the websites, social media, all that stuff. Good question, Matt. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> but uh, our record drops May first. But if you, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but if you pre-ordered in advance, you can listen to it as soon as April 3rd, next week. Um, you can edit that out if you want to, if you want to, oh, okay. if you don't want to have this time stamped. It's but, uh, but uh, yeah. And then our website is, is manmanband.com. We just dropped a, a new single called Future Peg. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, all the other streaming sites that don't give me dick for money. Uh, there's a really cool video for Future Peg that just came out. It's pretty trippy. I saw. And uh, yeah, awesome. All right. You saw you saw part of a two minute and thirty second video. Fuck you. No, it came up on Spotify. <laughs> That's what, well. Oh, it did. Yeah. Sometimes Spotify plays. Uh, Oh, it had, yeah, they're called canvases. Yeah, they do that. That's right. So, fuck you. And speaking with, uh, <laughs> who is the better, if who's, if these, which site or which streaming service pays artists the best? Because that's the one sh everyone should be on, right? And they I should, don't care. They should. I mean, I mean, Spotify is good. I mean, you know, Spotify is fine. Uh, Apple Music is fine. Well, I'll, I'm going to pre-order the record because I like to support my friends. So that's that's what I'm about. I own your last album. I, I love I love you. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's a it's a double LP. The artwork is by uh, a, a French artist who lives here in Los Angeles. Her name is Lafon Hawk, and it's kind of kind of got like a the artwork kind of got the '70s Floyd vibe. Yeah, it's a or just you know. Kind of like a like kind of a kraut rocky kind of cover. But uh yeah, the album's called Dream Hunting in the Valley of the In Between. That that's a mouthful, but it just seemed fitting for what this album is I like in my life and in the world. Did you see the first video we put out for the song Cloud Nine? I don't think I have. I'll I'll watch that when I get offline. 
I might all have, I can say is, holy yeah. shit, it's so prophetic. I had no idea when I, it, it came out like two weeks before the shit hit the fan here in uh, the U.S. of A. But it's just a, it's, it's just a, a guy, an old man dancing by himself on abandoned city streets. Oh, that's the one I saw. I did, and so then I the video, yeah, and then the, and then the video ends with the world exploding. <laughs> See, there you go. You're prophetic. It's, right. Church of Man, man, baby. Thank you, Ryan. Love you, Matt. All right. Good luck with the with the new baby. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review it on iTunes and subscribe to the show. Also, go to themattdwyer.com and check out all things Matt Dwyer. My Patreon, merchandise, you name it, it's there. And thank you for supporting podcasting. I hope you come back and listen again. Thank you very much.